Welcome back to another episode of Six Picks Music Club, a podcast for people still paying off student loans. What's up, everybody? I'm Dave, and joining me as always are two of my favorite humans on this earth, Jeffro. What's up, baby? And Russ. Hey, guys. Every episode, we have a musical theme, and each week we pick two entries to talk about. Two plus two plus two equals six. That's the simple math. This week, we're looking to score, so we're getting cinematic and talking about our favorite soundtracks and scores. But before we get too far down the rabbit hole, we need a password to open up this clubhouse. Guys, who's got the password this week? I think it's... Hey there, fuck knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> Hello yourself. Yeah, that's right. It is hey there, fuck knuckle. Thank you, Frodo. Appreciate you. All right, everybody. The door's open. Come on in. Find a space. Get into the corners. Let's 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 settle in and and let's have a good time. I'm really excited about this topic because I love movies so much and uh, I have maybe an unhealthy appreciation or, or collection of, of film scores on vinyl. This is my week. This is my topic that I got to pick. So I'm kind of pumped about it. All right. Checking in from the Great White North, we've got Frodo. Jeff, uh, what's happening in your world right now? What's new? Dude, so not a lot happened to me over the last week, and I was worried that I wouldn't have any gold material for our podcasts. But the the universe delivered yesterday, and it came in the form of shenanigans at my five year old's daycare. So I go in. Let's call the daycare's teacher's name Pasha. So Pasha <laughs> goes. I need to talk to you. I don't know if you've been in that situation yet. I'm sure you have. Yeah, but yeah, I, sure. Just first fear and panic. Those are the first. I was like, oh my gosh. What do you do? What do you do? Oh no. Oh no. And so he goes, I want to tell him. <laughs> and so Pasha was like, okay, I'll talk to you after he tells you. And I was like, what is going on? Okay. And so then right. he takes me into the bathroom, the little boy's bathroom. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and so I was so worried because I don't know what's going on yet. I, I kind of got down on a knee on the bathroom floor. I was like, this is disgusting, but whatever. And I was like, dude, what is going on? What happened? And he was like, so I was talking to McKennedy. That's not her name either. I'm making up the little girl's name. <laughs> I was talking to McKennedy and I said, um, leave the door open while you pee. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, don't laugh. That was the, that was the next thing that happened. I had fear and panic. And then it was, don't laugh during this exchange. Be very serious. Cut a fatherly figure. Oh, I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. That that would be tough. I don't think I would have been able to do that. Yeah, and so hold it in. Amazing, amazing. Hold it in. And so I was like, and? And, and he goes, and then Pasha told me that I couldn't look at her while she pees. And I said, okay. And then he like took a couple of beats, and I was like, is there more? And he was like, yeah. So then I asked her to take her pants off and I saw her privates and then he just burst out laughing and he goes it's so funny I saw her it's like that and I was like don't laugh and I was like you know you're not supposed to do that kind of thing at school meanwhile I'm thinking this isn't that big of a deal this is like kids do this kind of stuff all the time you know they're five 
I was like, hey, listen, we have to go back into the room and Miss Pasha is going to talk to me and you can't be laughing. So don't laugh and just go get your bag. And then I'm going to be serious. I'm going to go talk to her. Okay. Be cool. And so I go in and Miss Pasha is like, did he tell you what happened? And I was like, I think I got the gist of it. And she was like, McKennedy was under the table with her pants off. And I told her that that's not appropriate and then she needs to put her pants back on. And meanwhile, like McKennedy's with her mom and she's like kind of freaked out because she basically has been shamed by Miss Pasha. And meanwhile, I'm just trying to get out of there so I can kind of have a laugh about it and all this stuff. I just have a feeling with this kid, he's it, it's going to it's going to happen early with this guy and it's going to be. It's going to be all everybody, guys and girls. He's yeah. just going to be yeah. cleaning house. He's going to be like Adam Duritz out there. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go to a show this week, uh, this last Friday. I got to go see one of my all-time favorite bands. Uh, a little band out of the big city of Chicago, uh, fronted by uh, the one and only Jeff Tweedy. The band is Wilco. It's so interesting coming out of COVID how uh, live music has has really transformed. I feel like there were so many bands that were pushed to the brink of existence by the fact that they couldn't tour, the fact that they couldn't get together and record, and it was so challenging. And and um, and there were a lot of I think venues that were also challenged, and concert promoters that were also challenged, and so like. It's insane to me how expensive concerts have gotten. Not to be too much like Arthur shaking my fist, uh, but like, it's just insane. It's so expensive. But anyway, this show, this past Friday, was a great show. Uh, they played a lot of new songs off this new record. Anyway, I'm in the middle of my life at this point, and I thought it might be cool to just sort of talk a little bit about how older people might go to shows like I, maybe just some tips and tricks on 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 going to concerts as a as an older person number one wear comfortable shoes you're not going to a show to impress anybody yeah don't wear pointed boots that you just bought find yourself the comfortable new balance old man shoes because you're going to be standing there for at least two hours really you need some thick soled math teacher shoes <laughs> Something that's going to give you the arch support that you really need to drive through a full two hours of a show. Number two, if you drink, do not expect to have all of the drinks you're going to have at the venue of the show because they will destroy your financial situation. Venues have struggled through COVID and been resilient and concerts have gotten out of hand with how expensive tickets are. And when you get up there to order a beer or a shot of tequila or whatever it is, just expect that your second kidney is going to be removed from your body and put into the register right there because it is like out of control. So you need to find yourself a bar that is near enough to the venue that you can go and drink at beforehand. Otherwise, you'll be like the degenerate gambler in Vegas mortgaging the house just so that you can get another 24-ounce Bud Light. And then you order a shot. This shot cost me $21, and it's like it's like a Dimatap cup. <laughs> you know, right, it's like right. measured into five <laughs> milliliters of medicine, and then you, you drink it, and you're like... This is the amount of Benadryl you would give your child when they had congestion. Right. No, it's it's out of control. All right, so rule number three, if you're interested in merch, maybe you want a t-shirt or a poster or something like that, there's always a giant line. You don't always have to wait in that line. 
this takes a little bit of investigative reporting. So if you can find out who the artist is who did the poster, you can get on the Instagram, you can get into their DMs, and you can say like, yo, do you have artist copies? And they'll say, yo, I got them. Just buy them from my store. And then boom, you don't have to carry that shit around. You uh, get it shipped to your house. Pearl Jam has it all figured out. They they open up their merch line at noon before the show, and they're brilliant. And uh, you just go buy it and then go home and put it away. Yeah, I heard uh, Eddie Vedder's there selling the merch himself, right? And just, hey, man, so you want a poster guy? Yeah, come on. <laughs> you want to buy another fan? How about a t-shirt too? Yeah. I got a better fan. <laughs> thank you thank you daddy i i just to take the one i got it that's yeah. good uh, but if you can do all of your shopping outside of actually being at the concert then like that's that's so much better like do that instead and then the last it's a little bit of a controversial uh piece of advice but I, I just think that it's really important and something that you should start even before you get to this age. But I think that you need to wear earplugs to go to the show. Because, oh my God. Listen, you're going to destroy the eardrums. They don't grow back. You don't get it again. Do you think that the Ramones were earplugs at concerts? No. They didn't. I don't know that the Ramones wore underpants, but I still would advise people to wear underpants. I don't know that that's a good example. There's a lot of things the Ramones did that I don't know that I would recommend. Earplugs are really important, and there's a lot of advancement in earplug technology that like, that still sounds really, really good and like just dilutes the, the decibel level. And I think it's important to go to shows. I think it's important to support artists as they go out on the road, and, and there's just really nothing better than seeing a band play together live as a group. It's just it's my favorite thing in the fucking world. Yeah, should we talk about Wilco's new record here? Because, by the way, this is my favorite Wilco record since 2011's A Whole Love. It's it's so good. So interesting, like, it's the first time uh, that they've they've worked with an outside producer, God, since I think Ghost is Born, is that right? They normally self-produce. But, uh, no, I I really do think that Kate LeBond brings a, a really fresh take to all of the arrangements it's it's she uh, related to simon lebon that's a good question from duran duran one time he had some leather pants on that had stitching down the crotch and he jumped off of the stage and they ripped right around his junk mm. and yeah he now looks back on that story fondly with jokes lenny kravitz did that too did he really his junk fell out on stage yeah, he, uh, he he ripped his dick right through a pair of leather pants, that's for sure. That hog's got to get out, though. That it, can't, <laughs> it can't be contained for too long. <laughs> his pig was smart enough to uh, jump over to the next pen and eat all that pig's food. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Lenny Kravitz <laughs> is definitely the dude at the party that's stealing your girl and, and taking her home with his girl at the same time. Like, <laughs> yeah. maybe a dude, too. Like, just whom, whoever right. he wants. It's like, sweet. Everyone's getting laid. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that this is, I agree that uh, this is my favorite uh, Wilco record in a long time. <laughs> 
All right, well, I think that gives us the right transition to get into our main topic today. So uh, we're talking about scores and soundtracks, this uh, bit of music, the world of music that other artists use artists to improve their own art. It's really, really interesting. Jeffro, what do you got for us this week? So what my two have in common is my Europhilia. I'm a Europhile. Okay. <laughs> I want to be there. I, lo- I love Europe a lot. And that started... Why don't you marry it? <laughs> ...in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, but there was, some, there was some kind of like uh, precursors to it. And so uh, we're getting two different periods of of me like when i'm first starting to see that there's an outside world and i want to and i maybe want to adventure through it and so that's my score as an hbo kid realize that i i don't want to just be in my home i want to get out there i want to get some action and the movie is indiana jones and the last crusade This score, of course, is by John Williams. He he kept the main theme for Indiana Jones, like the main song, but then rewrote all of the rest. And it's and it's rewritten around the movie, which is of course a search for the Holy Grail that takes them through like Venice and Austria and like all these parts of Europe. And so I was seeing those on the screen when I was a little kid, and I was like, where is that? Like, what is this? That looks awesome. Like the boat scene in Venice when they're being chased by these like knights of the cruciform sword. Right. But yeah, all that, like it became like a, an adventuring romp through Europe. It was basically this movie and I, I was there for it, but there's a song, um, that's it's played in the finale and i think in maybe a couple like it repeats there's a or there's just like kind of a part of a of a tune in the score where it just goes like like that and it's i when it's playing during the film is whenever they're mentioning the grail it's like the music that accompanies holiness Man, it was so special and magical when I was a little kid watching HBO by myself, you know? The thing I love about this music is that it's 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 omnipresent, like you say, in this very sort of uh, religious kind of uh, mystical space. And just from the context of the film, like, uh, Indy starts as this non-believer. He's this dude who's like, yeah, whatever, it's nothing. Like, this isn't real. X doesn't mark the spot. And along the path, He's like, oh, shit, X does mark the spot. Oh, shit, there's the fucking Knights of the Templar. Oh, shit, like, there's all of these things that, like, that is real. And so it's like, it's this world building of, like, understanding and coming to terms with this idea that that the mysticism and the religion and the faith is a thing that, like... That's right, He's he's going from being a scientific skeptic to being a man of faith in his right, father's right, footsteps right. he's backtracking towards that so yeah yeah like he he figures it out and it's all it all comes back to this thing the music sort of builds and builds and builds to the point where it's like crescendos into this magnificat of 
you know, they're pouring the holy water from the grail onto the wound of Dr. Jones Sr. and saving his life. And then they all ride off into the fucking sunset on horses. To the finale music that I chose. It's pretty awesome. I love this score and, and, and it's a great pick. I love this film. So thanks, Jeffro. It's about, it's about, yeah, ultimately about magic. And I was watching Indiana Jones trips through Europe and I was like, what are all these places? I'm just sitting around in Louisiana. Just, I've never been anywhere. And my way of traveling was to do it through the movies. Right. Um, and I was like, I'm going to go see those places one day. And I did. And the, I started going to these places in the late nineties, early two thousands. And then this is when the movie that I picked my soundtrack from comes out 2001. The movie is Amelie. The soundtrack is by a man named Jan Tiersen, a bohemian multi-instrumentalist Frenchman that plays piano and accordion and violin and puts together these tunes for this movie. The movie, first off, was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It's quirky. It's about a French girl who's kind of like an isolate, and then she learns to love. But it's magic realist and strange, um, and it's about kind of like voyeurism and, and about growing to be part of a community. All the while, the music of Jan Tiersen is laced through this thing, and it's just so beautiful and super saturated colors and just takes you to this place of whimsy. And so the song that I chose off of the Amelie soundtrack is ma mainly because this is the one that I can pronounce the first song. <laughs> There's so many accents in it that I don't even know how to begin. French is such a, not, not to offend like basically all of my countrymen here in Canada, but French is just the most impenetrable language when it comes to pronunciation. I don't know how they ever figured it out, but, um, I'm also from Louisiana where they speak French too. Uh, so I'm just offending everybody that I've ever lived with, but it's called Les Jours Tristes. And it's the fourth song off of the soundtrack. The whimsy of it and, and the magic has been very helpful to me. Actually, like I watched the movie and I was like, I'm going to pick up that soundtrack. And then I got into all of Jan Tiersen's music and it just became part of my rotation when I'm studying or writing. I listen to this and it just kind of like gets me in that positive headspace of like imagination and creativity. And, it, and it's hard to find stuff that gets you there right away. But the Amelie soundtrack, friends, it does that. I love the whimsy of this film, and I think you're 100% on uh, the characteristic there, that it is this... this, uh, and, and I love that the music is uh, the thing that elevates the action of the film to that next plane. You know, I, I think there is a lot that, that's brought to it. I'm curious, like, why you consider this a soundtrack and not a score. When that first came out, um, I thought the same thing. So I, I went looking, and it's because he is uh, – he puts out albums, and these are songs off albums. And so um, Jeannot found him and put some of those songs in there and then asked him to fill in the gaps with new songs – Based, uh, written specifically for the movie. Yeah, he has an album called Skyline. He's got an album called Le Reverture de which means the Western. 
listen, listen. I love this music so much that when I was like a single dude and like I, I've had a piano in my house for my entire life and I sought out JPEGs or images of, of sheep music to this soundtrack. Sheep music? Sh- sheep, sheep music. Oh, sheep, sheep. music. Yeah. Sheep music. So that I could sheep play it on the piano in my house like, and, and, and just... Bah. Um, Hot. I have a, a love for this film that is that is unbridled. I, I I love it. Well, hell yeah, Frodo, Jeff. Thank you so much for uh, your your thoughts there. Like, I think you're welcome, Dave. Yeah, no, those are great picks. Like, I love you're welcome, Dave. I love both of those films and uh, the music there continues to transform. So, Russ, do you want to start with film score? Or do you want to start with soundtrack? I'll probably start with score. I love this pick, by the way. I I saw this come through, and it's uh it's one that like just recently got reissued on vinyl, and like I was so close to picking it up, but it was fifty fucking dollars, and I said I can't spend that much money. But uh, I love the music on this record. Um, but I won't steal any more thunder. Go ahead. I'm going with the original score for the Last of the Mohicans, which is one of my favorite scores of all time, and I I think it adds just a huge rewatchability to the movie. I, th- I think you can just continue to rewatch the movie just because the music is that good. The score just raises the emotional level. It definitely is made better by the score. Like it, it the score really turns this movie up a lot. Trevor Jones has done a, a, a lot of a lot of work. He did the score for Dark Crystal. He did From Hell and Thirteen Days. Free Jack. You see that? The Emilio Estevez movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> None of these though are are at the last of the Mohicans level. Like he is turned up to 100% going full a game on this movie. The music plays a huge part of this movie. And there, there are three key scenes that um, are dialogue free, really just music and sound effects being the opening with uh, the, the sweeping cinematography. And then the L cunt L cunt. Is that Spanish for the cunt? <laughs> 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 the elk hunt. The elk hunt. I know. I heard you. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I, no, I can't hear it. No, I can't unhear it. I can't unhear it. Uh, no, oh shit! Oh, but seriously, God. Daniel Davis <laughs> running through the forest with a musket <laughs> to the song "Elk." Hunt. The elk hunt, huh? <laughs> so my grandpa okay. and uncle have been elk hunting for twenty years up in, in Cody, hunting. Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and every every once in a while they'll they'll get multiple elks and they'll get multiple elks and come back and share the meat around and it's some of the most delicious uh, delicious meat and um, I will never oh. think of elk hunting in a different way. <laughs> 
And it's Daniel Day-Lewis with his determination and his I will find you attitude that like um, just it sells it. (sighs) Which which one are we identifying as your number one song off of the score, though? You have to make a choice. It can't be. If we're actually talking about a single song, I'm going to go with uh, Promontory. Is that where it brings everything back together? That's the the scene where the, the two main themes, the one from the beginning and the one from the kiss, come together. And they hit this kind of crescendo as the movie is just very satisfying. So originally, this was a three-hour cut. And the studio was like, hell no. You, you cannot put out a three-hour last the Mohicans movie. And so they pushed the release date. And he, he went back and he had to cut it down to 112 minutes. But when it was time to rescore the movie, Trevor Jones was busy. It's making cliffhanger. So they had to bring in this guy, Randy Edelman, to tie things together. So now they have two composers. And Randy Edelman had more of a tender touch and it was in charge of weaving the Trevor Jones stuff together. So you've got these big, powerful themes that are going through. And then the more subtle things are Randy Edelman, which is kind of piecing it together. Huh. That's interesting. The score was super popular, but it did not get nominated for an Oscar. And it's possibly because there were two composers, but most likely it's because The Kiss, which is uh, based off this song called The Gale by Dougie McLean, that violin portion, they took that music and put it in there. And the Academy just does not smile upon uh, using other people's music. So they didn't get nominated. Great choice. That's a great record, Russ. Yeah, great choice though. It's uh it it quite possibly could be the greatest soundtrack of all time. In preparation for this role, Daniel Day Lewis decided to just live outside and live off of the land and catch and kill his own food. <laughs> what? So Daniel Day Lewis living off the land brings me to my next pick, which is Eddie Vedder's Into the Wild soundtrack. Once I built an ivory tower so I could worship from above. I climbed down to be set free She took me in again There's a big, a big hot sun Beating on the big people In a big hot world I picked this soundtrack for a few reasons. First one is because it's a soundtrack that's specifically written for the film. I feel like... You go back 20 years and specifically curated songs for movies is great and it's good. But now with streaming services and anyone can curate any kind of list they want. Original songs composed for a movie just make more sense to me or at least more, I don't know, meaningful. And the way the story goes is Eddie Vedder got back from touring with Pearl Jam. He's back two days. Sean Penn, I guess, is a buddy of his, shows up at his house says, uh, let's watch this movie I made, which is Into the Wild. So they watched this movie, and it has music in it. They had already gotten Michael Brooks and Khaki King to lay down some music. And he was like, oh, this is great. Thanks for showing me or whatever. He's like, no, I want you to fill in the gaps. And he's like, the silent parts, I want you to write music for it. Oh, wow. He reads the book, the Crack Hour book, and then he spends three or four days just writing different music. And what he says is he provided Sean Penn with colors that he could paint with. He's like, here's some stuff, pick what you want, and then I can help you do whatever you like. Sean calls him back and says, 
hey, I already used two of those songs. Can you uh, contribute five or six more? This soundtrack becomes his debut solo record. It's got mandolins and guitars and pump organs going through this thing. It's cool because the, as the film progresses, the lyrics serve almost as an inner monologue for Chris McCandless, which I think is great because it captures his internal struggle and is just, I think it sets the tone for the film perfectly. Um, and similar to The Last of the Mohicans, uh, the general public expected an Oscar nomination at the very least for Eddie Vedder and Hard Son, but it didn't get one because Hard Son is a cover. How's your pump organ functioning these days, Russ? <laughs> it's still good. It's still good. <laughs> yeah, it's still pumping. Yeah, it's still pumping. It's good to hear. Still going, going strong. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. I love, I love the the Long Nights track. That's one of my favorites off of this one. Yeah. Well, hell yeah, Russ. I think those are great picks. I'm gonna jump right in and go with the film score that I picked. Um, which was the 1987 crime film directed by Brian De Palma, The Untouchables. And the film score was done by Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone. Yes, that's the one. Most famously known for uh, the work that he did on the Sergio Leone uh, westerns. The spaghetti westerns. The spaghetti westerns of the 60s and 70s. Thank you, Jeff. Do you think Italians are like... So they made some westerns in our country and they call them spaghetti westerns. Come on, guys. And maybe they're like, we also have so many other kinds of food. You know, there's like <laughs> cannoli and rigatoni and <laughs> you know, <like>, tortellini, <laughs> pizza. You know, they didn't call them the pizza westerns. It was spaghetti. But would that be considered racist now? I think it would be racist. I just, I'm sure that it's canceled. I'm sure that it's not okay to say either way. Yeah, now you're supposed to, you're supposed to call it um, pasta western. <laughs> <laughs> so made famous by pasta western music that he'd done previously, and Neo Marconi <laughs> was brought in by uh, the film production crew to uh, to do music for this this movie that was about uh, bootleggers when it was illegal to consume alcohol. Did people put liquor in their boots? Is that why it's called a bootlegger? Bootlegger? Yeah, you got boots on, you got liquor in the boot. I'm not I'm not aware that that's where the booze went. I, I don't know. But where? Why is it called a bootlegger? From the smugglers' practice of concealing bottles in their boots. Okay. That's called, in the biz, okay, it's called an educated guess with an emphasis on the educated. I swear when he was two-fingering the other night, I really thought it was going in a different direction. I thought he was like, can I two-finger you right now? And then I was like, okay. And then he's like, no. Yeah, you got real You got real titillated. <laughs> oh, boy. More of a one-finger guy, but uh, you got to two-finger us right now. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Um, anyway, the reason I picked this this movie is is because it was one of those foundational movies to me as a child. And the score, it is immediately this dark and foreboding 
dreadful just piece of music that has a, a very Marconi signature. It's not a harmonica, but very similar to the, the harmonica man in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, just cutting in over this very rumbling, deep bass uh, of threatening uh, violence. And that's just the very beginning. It's so interesting to me that this film is very much a Western. You know, they ride fucking horses in it. You know, the, like the big shootout in the middle of the film, like they ride horses in to like stop the bootleggers from a crumbing across the Canadian border. He does have an argument, old Ennio Morricone, for number one of all time because he did different stuff. And, uh, and, you know, he's not like splashy because he's, you know, he's not, he's not your John Williams. He's not like the man on the, on top, but he's like no, known for having some of the most beautiful compositions. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that movie. I, I, I love that score. It's, it's one that is overdue for a, a reissue on vinyl. So whoever's making vinyl and has the rights to that, like you, you have your orders, get it fucking done. Uh, taking me into my soundtrack pick, I, I went with a, a film that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And the soundtrack for that record from the movie, uh, in the year 2000 by the Coen brothers. This soundtrack is uh, one that was produced by a dude named T-Bone Burnett. I love people named after steak. <laughs> I've always said that. You know I've always said that. We like Salisbury Jones. <laughs> Salisbury Jones is cool. Yeah. Or Ribeye Franklin. He's my he's my good buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Prime beef LaBeouf. Great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than old prime beef LeBeouf. He's the best. I will say that I that I love this next record so much for very personal reasons. Uh, I think the music in it is fantastic. I uh, I love the throwback to uh, uh, an era of Americana music that uh, wasn't previously present, and I love how it's embedded into the context of this film beyond. Its impact on the movie, I think there's like a like a, a more grandiose impact that it has on the music industry, and really that is in creating a sort of because here's the thing: this soundtrack ended up selling eight million copies, which is crazy, which is insane for a soundtrack to sell eight million records. That's uh, octuple platinum for all you chicken sugars out there trying to do the math but not even just a soundtrack a soundtrack of americana i that is insane eight million copies wow right so uh 
this record also made Alison Krauss uh, a, a family name. Man of Constant Sorrow uh, wins the Grammy. The uh, record wins uh, Best Country uh, Collaboration with Vocals. Uh, best Male Country Performance. Uh, it won Album of the Year. It's a behemoth, right? That's my pick. Man of Constant Sorrow is a great song. It's way fun. I love I love putting this record on every single time. Yeah, it was fun to revisit. I, I was glad to hear it again. It, it had been quite a while that, since I'd heard it, but it was fun to listen through. So on the next episode, we are going to reflect on the past and look toward the future by picking songs about regret and songs about hope as we all hopefully look toward the new year 2024. We're really looking forward to sharing these tracks with you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Keep jamming. This episode of Six Picks Music Club was produced by Buster Hyman and edited by Wilma Fingerdew. With special thanks, as always, to Dixie Wrecked. Dixie does such good work for us. and um, So, and- so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's thanks just a lot, Dixie. the fucking best. <laughs>